When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. I spent a lot of time in my grandma's house as a kid. It was where my cousins and I would watch horror movies and play silly games. A lot of meaningful memories were made there. But there was one part of the house that I would always avoid. So when you enter the front door of the house, you walk across the living room, and to the left is a long hallway with four bedrooms, two on either side. And for as long as I can remember, I always had an unsettling feeling about the last room on the left. Whenever I'd stand in front of its closed door, I'd just feel inexplicably scared. So I would always walk past it in a hurry and avert my gaze. I had no idea why, but this feeling followed me for years. Even to this day, I feel it. Then, in the fall of 2020, my cousin told me that she was sleeping on our grandma's living room couch one night, her feet facing that long hallway. In the middle of the night, her tiny dog began barking. My cousin woke up and saw her dog was barking toward the hallway. She looked over and saw a seven-foot-tall hooded shadow figure at the end, gliding towards that very door. I had never told my cousin about the weird feeling I got from that room, but she knows that she can share these types of sightings with me, and I'm glad that she did. It gave me some validation. Maybe that entity had been residing in that room this entire time, and instinctively, I didn't want to be near it. When I shared my cousin's sighting with my sister, to my complete surprise, she said, Wait, I was always scared of that room too. There's a reason for the endless amount of classic haunted house ghost stories. When you're inside of a building, the energy is more contained, more concentrated. You witness this for yourself when it's hot or cold. The same goes for spiritual energy. My grandma's house is pretty old. I wonder if the entity at the end of the hallway was somehow created from a culmination of events after all these years. Maybe it predates the house itself. In this episode, I'll be sharing true tales about buildings that have retained ghastly memories that might make you question your own surroundings as well. First, I read a story about a man who worked night security at a military facility. Then, I speak with Becky Kalimnik, who shares multiple experiences she and her family have had in various locations.
Chapter 1 The Man in Base 17 Submitted by Tony Hi, Sapphire. Big fan. My wife and I watch a ton of paranormal shows together, mainly because we have both had encounters, enough to write a full novel. Here's one. I used to be a security guard for 10 years at a military facility. It is located in Canada, and they build light-armored vehicles for the U.S. and Canadian Army. I was fairly new when this happened. All new guards start as part-time. Most new hires got stuck with a midnight shift at the Battle Damage Repair Building. There were always jokes about that building being haunted. The last employee leaves at 11 p.m., and the day shift employees start rolling in around 5.30 a.m., so my shift was from midnight to 6 a.m., completely alone. Aside from the supervisor, Mo, who would show up at 4.30 to get everything in order, read his newspaper, and have his coffee. Anyway, every hour I would get up and conduct a patrol. One time, I was lost in my book, and I looked at the time, and it was 3.30 a.m. I jumped up in a hurry as I was late for my 3 a.m. rounds. 80% of the lights in the building are off to save energy during non-production hours, so I grabbed my flashlight and began my patrol of the dark facility. The front of the building is offices, and the rear is a larger factory that has about 30 bays for R&D and repairs on tanks that are shipped back from war. As I walked through the office area in the front, I could hear a faint voice coming from the factory area. I was the only one in the building. All doors had a keycard swipe for entry, and the computer in my office has a program that shows all activity. The last person left at 11.17 p.m., and the other swipe log was just myself, doing my rounds. Someone was in here who shouldn't be. I entered the factory area. I was shining the flashlight around, trying to spot anybody. I heard the faint voice again, in the distance. It was saying, We've been hit. We've been hit. And then some numbers that sounded like coordinates, like longitude and latitude. I walked up and down the aisle, shining my light around, looking for this voice that sounded so distressed. It was strange. It sounded like the man was yelling, but as if it was on a TV with the volume turned down. So I thought maybe someone had left a TV or radio on. I finally approached the area where the voice was coming from. I moved my light towards this one tank in front of me, in Bay 17. I saw boots and legs standing behind it. Someone was standing there. But who and why? I called out, Security, who's there? They responded, We need help. We've been hit. I quickly walked around the side of the tank and got to the rear, showing my flashlight in the spot where the legs were. But there was no one there. I was confused, not scared, just puzzled. Where did they go? I continued to search the area. They couldn't have gone far. As I walked away, I walked past the tool chest in that bay. The radio sitting there turned on and began blasting music. The noise completely startled me, and I began to run out of the building, all the while calling my wife on my cell phone to tell her what's going on. As I exited through the front door, she calmed me down, and I hung up. Our mobile guard came over our radio and asked if I wanted a coffee as he was coming to my building to do a wellness check. He stopped in at approximately 4 a.m. 
I told the senior guard who had been with the company for four years what I heard and saw. He just laughed and said, (laughs) Yep, that's why I don't pick up shifts at this building. I stood outside next to the patrol vehicle until about 4.20 a.m. The day shift factory supervisor pulled in, so I went back into my security office and sat at my desk. The supervisor came in, walked past my window, and we said good morning to each other. Ten minutes later, the supervisor was standing at my window again. Everything okay? I said. Who else is here? He asked. Just us, sir. He narrowed his eyes. Impossible, he responded. I turned my monitor towards him to show him that we were the only two people to have swiped any doors. Why do you ask? I said. Well, I was sitting in my office waiting for my computer to boot up, and a man in green camo walked past my door. I yelled out, good morning, and I heard him reply back. There usually isn't anyone else here this early, and when I stepped out of my office to catch his face, he'd already left. So I came to check in with you and see who it was. I wish I had an answer for you, I responded. My shift was done at 6 a.m., and I went home to bed. The next night, I got to work at 10.45 p.m. The afternoon shift guard told me there was one tank taped off and quarantined because they found some remains in it. So when the employees were taking the turret off for repairs, the turret ring had part of a scalp with skull and brain matter wedged in there. What had happened was this vehicle drove over an IED and blew the front suspension off. When you're in these vehicles, you must wear your helmet at all times, and one of the soldiers was standing up with no head protection. Part of his head was cut off on impact. The military police came to collect the remains during the day. I said, Is it Bay 17, next to the paint booth? The guard's jaw dropped. Yes, how did you know? I took a breath. Because I saw him last night. Many earthbound spirits are those who died quickly and unexpectedly. They didn't have the proper time to process what was happening, and so now their spirit remains imprinted on earth. These imprints can attach themselves to a building or a physical object, in this case, the tank. And the soldier's unburied remains were keeping his spirit even more tethered to the vehicle. It's no wonder that that building is rumored to be haunted. It's filled with vehicles that might also have confused spirits attached to them. It's also no wonder that people avoid that building at night. Because ghost sightings or not, who would want to be reminded of the damages and loss that war causes? Chapter 2. Other Mommy with the Rope. So I I grew up in a small town in northeast Tennessee in the Appalachian Mountains in a region that was very focused on oral tradition, storytelling as an art form, and ghost stories. It was just sort of a way of life. I didn't really think that that was unusual at all until I moved away to Chicago and started trying to collect ghost stories from my friends up there and got some very strange stares. But 
luckily, since I was also studying anthropology while I was up there, I also, I guess I grew to appreciate the oral traditions of my hometown and how much the paranormal, this belief in ghosts, ghosts just kind of being part of your lives was really a fascinating and interesting component of the region. This is Becky Kalimnik from Atlanta, Georgia, a collector of ghost stories and host of the wonderfully spooky podcast, Homespun Haints. My very first experience with a ghost, as far as I can tell, happened when I was about five. I had an imaginary friend, but I realized, even as a child, that this this was not something out of my own imagination, because this so-called friend had some mental health issues, was a grown man, and was dressed like an 18th century British soldier. I would put him at about 21, 22 years old. He had long, light hair, blondish, maybe white. It could have been a wig. I wouldn't have known the difference at the age. It was, it was long, and it was pulled back in a ponytail, and it was scraggly on the ends, almost moldy if that makes sense. His clothes were torn. He did have a red coat on that was dirty and tattered. His name was Hay, which I believe must have been short for Hayden. We, we would just have arguments and he would trash my room and then I would have to explain to my parents why my possessions were destroyed. It was not a good relationship at all. And after enough nights of this, because he would crawl in up the birch tree outside my window, come in through my bedroom window and just bother me and complain about his life. And I didn't want to deal with him. I was five. I didn't want to deal with this person's issues. So I eventually told him just to go away. I never wanted to see him again. And he left. And that was that. I knew, I I mean, I, I understood that something was off about him. The fact that he had to come in through my window, the fact that he would always hide when my parents came in the room, the fact that nobody else seemed to see him, he didn't interact in any other part of the house. But I think also when you're a child, you're still trying to figure out reality and boundaries and things. So I don't know that I thought it was unusual. And I didn't really label him as a ghost. I just thought it was just this really annoying guy. And I had to figure out how to make him go away. From what I can understand, from what I've been told by my parents and then from my own memories, I did not have to deal with this entity for too long, maybe a matter of months. I I got pretty frustrated with him pretty quickly. And so it wasn't very long before I just tried to get him out of my life. Now, my sister, on the other hand, claimed that she was encountering things at the same time, so... She was younger than me, so she wasn't able to verbalize it in the same way. So maybe he just went and started bothering her. I really don't know. Other people have asked me why he may have come to me. I've been asked if I'm sensitive or, you know, particularly prone to seeing ghosts. I have seen a lot of them, but I also think it comes from this openness based off of where I grew up and and this sort of acceptance of the spirit world. However, I'm also a very empathetic person. Even to this day, I always have random strangers come up to me and tell me their problems. It's quite frustrating. (laughs) I think there may have been a little bit of that. I think maybe he was 
someone in pain. That is one thing I do remember. He was in pain. He would pace around screaming. He was very upset. He had a very quick temper. The slightest thing I would say would send him flying off the edge. And I think he saw in me someone that could be empathetic and maybe soothe his pain, but I was five. (laughs) I was not capable of that. I just wanted to go to sleep. Young children seeing and interacting with ghosts is not uncommon at all. And as we've discussed on this show before, this ability seems to be inherited. Becky's children are a great and incredibly creepy example of that. I, I, I do think, well, I don't think, I know that children do tend to see things that, that we can't see. I mean, I can tell you my, my own children have seen some interesting things and they're now at the point where I believe they've lost those gifts. But when my son was three and my daughter was five, my husband and I went to stay at a bed and breakfast up in North Carolina, not too far from Asheville. We stayed there because they said on the TripAdvisor site that it was good for families We wanted to have a room that our kids could stay in and a room that my husband and I could stay in that were connected so we would all have our own space and they could go to sleep and we could go to sleep. So they put us in the attic of this early 19th century building that had something of a sordid past. Later learned that Jesse James's brother had owned it at one point and the history's a little murky, but some unsavory things went down in this building during that time. While we're in the attic of this building, I am trying to get my son to go to sleep. He is three, and so I have him on top of the bed in the room that my husband and I are staying in, and it's a very high bed, old-fashioned bed, four-poster bed, and my son is babbling and just not at all sleepy and having a really good time, and he turns to me and he points and he says, Mommy? And then he pointed to the ceiling and said, other mommy. He pointed back to me and said, mommy. And then he pointed to the ceiling again and said, other mommy with the rope. (laughs) So I did not tell my husband this story until we were about to check out because I was afraid he would freak out and want to leave. My thinking was, my son doesn't seem to be bothered by the lady he sees hanging from the ceiling. (laughs) And this is the room that my husband and I are staying in, and I can't see it. So just we'll just sleep here and hope she doesn't bother us. And when we checked out, I I did tell the the person working behind the desk of the story, and the color just left her face. (laughs) She started babbling a little bit. And I said, well, I'm just going to leave you with that. They had absolutely no information about that. I, I, first of all, I asked him if they had a ghost. And the, the person behind the desk said, why, what did you see? <laughs> I said, well, I, I think my son saw someone. And she said, well, there's Edgar. Edgar plays with the lights sometimes. That's just what we call him. We don't know what his name is. And there actually was a point where the lights just all went out for no reason and then came back on again. But I just assumed old building electrical issues, and it could very well have been that. And I said, oh, no, this was no Edgar. (laughs) 
I want to know about the woman that my son saw hanging from the attic ceiling. So she had nothing to say to that matter, but she did say, well, this building did have an unsavory past, and we don't know everything that happened for about a 25-year span there. So who knows? I suspect not a lot of people stayed in the attic, at least not a lot of children. We were the only family there with children. Perhaps she was just excited someone could see her. Or maybe she's always there, and he just happened to be able to see her. I don't know. (laughs) Becky also has a daughter who didn't see the other mommy with the rope. However, she has had her own share of unsettling observations. I brought my daughter with me when we went house hunting because I suspected she would be able to see things. And sure enough, there were homes that we did not look at again and did not put offers in because of things that she saw in the home. There was one in particular, a home near my parents' house. We actually spent a lot of time at this home. It was right near my parents' house. The kids would be able to walk over to grandma and grandpa's. It was the style we wanted. It was updated. It was a good price. And my daughter said, I like the house, but I don't like the man in the hat that stands by the front door. So I called my realtor and said, we cannot buy that house because my daughter saw a ghost in it. Now, since I live in the South, my realtor said, that's a really good reason. I will (laughs) terminate any negotiations on this home. And wouldn't you know, that was six years ago. And because it's near my parents' house, I do drive by that house pretty frequently. And it has been on the market six times since we looked at it. So something's up with that house. And I'm very glad (laughs) that my daughter was able to warn us in her small childish way that we should not buy it. I love the idea of having your child be your ghost-detecting device. After the break, we'll hear Becky's favorite ghost story to share, the one that convinced her that ghosts are very real. I This, this is for real. Ghosts are for real. This is not in my head. This is not my kids making things up. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We've heard what Becky encountered as a child and what her children encountered around the same age. So clearly, this ability is potent in Becky's blood. Her mother and sister also have frequent sightings and experiences, to the point where Becky believes every house her parents have lived in was haunted. The following is her favorite story to tell, which involves all three of them and a very old building. This is probably the experience that made me realize this is for real. Ghosts are for real. This is not in my head. This is not my kids making things up. In 2011, my mother and my sister and I had this great idea that we were going to open an art gallery (laughs) in the recession. And we chose a location that was in a very walkable area of Atlanta, north of the city in a suburb a town called Marietta, Georgia. It's just north of Atlanta. The square, Marietta Square, dates back to the early 1800s. A very walkable, very old, very historic, very haunted area. Found a space and renovated it. And because it was just the three of us running in this, this place, we would take turns on who would actually be managing the gallery and sitting there and greeting clients and customers. So there were a lot of times where there was only one of us in the building at a time. And being an art gallery during the recession, you can imagine it wasn't particularly crowded. So around the second or third month after we opened, I was sitting there by myself, and I heard the back door open. We had installed a very heavy fire door. I mean, it was hard to open. That's how heavy it was. And it was locked. We always locked it when we were there by ourselves. And it was in this section of the gallery behind the showroom. So there was an interior door to the showroom. And then this area in the back that we used for storage. And then the exterior door, this heavy metal fire door. I mean, we had to use like a cinder block to keep it open. It was so heavy. And it would be locked. And I would hear the door open and close and I thought oh my sister's here late as usual well I'm going to sit up front and wait for her to come out she's probably back there putting some stuff up and then she'll be entering the showroom and I waited waited 15 minutes go by 20 minutes go by my sister never emerges so I got up and went to the back to see what was taking my sister so long and she wasn't there the door was shut and locked So I opened the door and looked out into the parking lot. We had a lot in the back that employees could park in, and her car wasn't there. And I thought, okay, maybe she came, forgot something, and went back home. And half hour later, she arrived, and I asked her about it, and she said, no, that wasn't me. So I thought maybe I had imagined it. The next day, the same thing happened. But it didn't just happen once. I heard that door open and close several times. By this point, I'm starting to get a little scared, so I go and check the lock. Lock's fine. The third day, it happens again. Saturday comes around, and I'm not in there. I'm I'm at home with my family, and my sister is there by herself, and she hears the door open and close. Locked door, 
open and close. And then my mother comes and relieves her that afternoon, and she hears the back door open and close. We talk about it the next week, and we just kind of say, okay, well, it's probably a ghost. It's an old building. No big deal. Move on with our lives. And then the next week, the interior doors started opening and closing. In fact, my sister even got it on security footage, (laughs) the door just opening on its own and closing. Unfortunately, it was the type of footage that like would tape over itself every night, so we don't have a copy of it. But we would hear the back door, the locked back door, open and close, and then the interior door would open and shut, and then another interior door would open and shut. And I remember, because we, we had two storage areas in the back, and I remember saying, it almost seems like a child is running through, opening doors and running through. Then... The banging started. If you've ever seen a horror movie where the walls start to shake and bang, that's a real thing. Our unit was on the edge of a building. So we had an alley on one side, a street on the front, and a parking lot in the back. But the other wall was adjacent to another shop. Before anybody moved into that shop, we heard this banging and we assumed that they were renovating. And then when our neighbors moved in, because it was vacant for a while, when our neighbors moved in, we asked them, did you renovate the space? And they said, no, we didn't renovate. We thought, okay, that's unusual. And then the banging started happening again after they moved in. And it was fierce. The paintings on the wall were actually rattling and hitting the wall. The banging was so fierce. So we would run next door and say, what are you doing? And they said, we're not doing anything. And I said, don't you hear that banging? And they said, no, we don't hear the banging. What are you talking about? So we just said, well, we just won't hang anything with glass on that wall. So that was how we solved that problem. And then we heard the footsteps. And we would hear what sounded like people walking on the roof of the building. And same thing, we would run out, look up. This was a tall building. You could only get on the roof with a ladder. There was nobody on the roof. We would notice that the footsteps sounded louder in the back, the same place where we would hear the doors opening and closing. And then also, it almost didn't sound like they were on the roof. It almost sounded like they were floating above us. And they sounded like they were walking on wood, even though our ceiling would have been concrete. So we, again, just said, well, must be the ghost. We're just going to move on with our lives, sell some art. A few years go by, and a paranormal investigator comes into the gallery, comes up to my sister. She was actually selling a painting of a ghost. And he approaches my sister and says, have you seen a ghost here? And she said, why? What do you know? And he said, well, when this unit was vacant before you all moved in, I did an investigation here. And I encountered a little boy in the back room in that storage area but what was unusual was he moved as if the floor had been a different place his stomach and up were moving at the level of the floor as if he were walking on a floor that was underneath the existing floor and my sister said well that explains it (laughs) we have a little boy 
And apparently the investigator found out that this boy had died in a fire in the building in the 20s. My sister, being the curious type, climbed into the crawl space underneath the building. And sure enough, she found pieces of foundation that only went halfway up and were charred at the edges. So, a new gallery has moved in. And I've gone and asked them if they've encountered the ghost. They have not. So I don't know if it was just us he liked. (laughs) But if there was any doubt, we all became believers after that. I never did see the boy. And that actually fits with other encounters I've had as an adult. I tend to hear them. And... The same seems to be true for my mother and my sister. We did see the door opening and closing, so he was obviously strong enough to affect that. And we did see the pictures rattling on the walls, but we never saw him specifically. I find it really interesting that the tenants after Becky's family left did not experience the little boy. It seems to confirm what Becky had mentioned at the beginning of her story, that spirits seem to seek her out. It sounds like it was a residual haunting, one where the spirit is living scenes of their life on repeat. Perhaps this little boy felt comfortable showing himself in the presence of Becky and her family because he knew that they would understand he meant no harm. I truly believe that embracing the paranormal is about more than fun, spooky entertainment. It can teach us valuable lessons. (laughs) say if there's any lesson that I have learned from having these experiences. Um, It's a little indirect, but it has taught me to be a little bit more in tune with my own intuition, to pay attention when I feel in my gut that something's wrong. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but I also sometimes have prophetic dreams. And Again, these experiences have made me be more open to believing them when they happen and possibly avoiding situations, though sometimes I don't. (laughs) So that is probably the biggest takeaway that I've had from it. Before I really allowed myself to immerse myself in these stories, because yes, there was a period of time where when I was in my early 20s, I wanted to just brush it off and say, oh, those things that happened to me in my past, it's all in my head and ghosts aren't real. And I was living by myself in Chicago and I didn't really want to believe in ghosts because I was living in these hundred year old apartments and they're probably haunted. (laughs) So I just wanted to keep myself from being scared. But once I opened myself back up to it, that is when I was really able to pay a little bit more attention to trusting my gut. And in doing so, it has helped me in all aspects of my life, from relationships to business to pursuing my dreams. And I think that that, the ghosts helped me get there. (laughs) Well, the worst one, and the one that made me really decide I needed to start paying attention to them, was I, I had a dream about being in a really terrible car crash. And all I remember from the dream is spinning in the car, screaming, holding my hands up in front of my face. I had a client at the time that was 72 miles away. I had to drive 72 miles uh, across middle of nowhere, Florida to get to this client every single day. And I got in the car that morning and I remember putting my laptop bag in the front seat and I thought, 
that's not a good idea because when the front of the car gets sliced off, my laptop might be in trouble. And I don't know where the, I mean, I thought that I'd had the dream. And of course I brushed it away and said, Oh, Becky, that's silly. That's, you know, it's hogwash. You're going to be fine. No need to worry about it. Well, sure enough, about 30 minutes later, I lost control of my car and did a 360 at 75 miles per hour into a freight truck and ended up in the median facing the wrong direction with a broken car. And first thing I did once I realized my legs were still there and I screamed quite a bit, I jumped out of the car and checked my laptop to make it sure it was still okay. <laughs> and this came a few years after my mother had had a dream, which is, again, completely random. She called me out of the blue. We didn't talk for that often when I was living in Chicago, but she did call me and she said, I just wanted to let you know I had the weirdest dream about you last night. I dreamt that you were trying to stuff a flamingo into a tiny little car. And it was just such a vivid dream. I wanted to make sure you were okay. And I said, well, that's interesting, Mom, because I'm staring at a giant wooden flamingo that I stuffed into my friend's Geo Metro yesterday to get it to my apartment. Of all completely random things. So those... <laughs> I don't know how to explain either of those. Um, I've, had, I've had other dreams since then, but the car accident was the one that I guess really woke me up to realize I, I need to start paying attention to this stuff. I do think that we are taught to ignore it, at least our generation. Now, my children are learning in school, are learning in school that there are like 22 senses or something and intuition is one of them. This is what they're actually learning. And I tell them all the time to pay attention to their gut. And they say, we know mommy. So I think incoming generations, there's hope that they're going to be a little bit more in tune to this sort of thing. However, for for those of us that are already adults, I think we grew up in a time that was very focused on saying not saying there's anything wrong with being focused on empirical data and science and things that you can see and test, but there's been such an emphasis on that in the past few generations that I think it's sort of pushed out some of these softer gifts, if you will. And it is hard. It's hard to kind of untrain yourself to start paying attention to those things that for the longest time you were taught to ignore because you couldn't see them or feel them. If you enjoyed Becky's stories, then check out her podcast, Homespun Haints. It's much easier to dismiss possible paranormal activity when you keep it to yourself. But when your story matches someone else's, it is so satisfying to get that confirmation. That's why I love today's stories. And that's why it's important to share what you experience. Someone else can bring context to what you observed. So once this episode is done, take a moment to think about your own home. Maybe you're there right now. What kind of energy are you creating in your home? What kind of energy was left before you moved in? Has your intuition ever lit up in certain spots? It could be as subtle as avoiding certain rooms at night. 
Ask the people who live with you or people who have visited if they've ever felt something strange. You never know what you might find out. Thank you for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks like live watch parties, early access to episodes, or private tarot readings. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash Sapphire Sindalo, where I post an animated spooky story every other week. If you'd like to submit a story, send it to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to Tony and Becky. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com.